This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. Today we're in the second installment of this series, and I just want to tell you up front that I have an agenda today. When I have an agenda in a talk, I want to tell you so you're not blindsided by it. At the end, the agenda is very simple. I want every person in here today to engage the light of the world. I want your story, wherever you are in your story, I want it to engage the light of the world. Because Christmas is such a story of the beautiful in the context of the broken. Have you ever noticed that about Christmas? I mean, it's really a story of birth, isn't it? You ever been in a room when a baby was born? It's really ugly for a while, all right? I've heard some of your birth stories. Some of the sweetest women in our church yelling profanities at their husband, right? Then in just a few moments, all is calm, and there's tears of love and joy, right? Isn't that really what Christmas is? The, the birth of a Savior in, in, in really to a context that may have been the most ugly in human history? Maybe that's where your story is this Christmas too. Maybe this Christmas you're questioning if God is good because of something that's tragic that's happened in the past year. Maybe you're here today and you walked away from faith or church because you had a bad experience with faith or with church. Maybe today you're struggling with disappointment and shame because of something that you've done in the past. And maybe today you're dreading Christmas as it comes in just a few weeks because of situations that are represented in Christmas celebrations that you feel are out of your control. And maybe for you today, there was a point where the light of the world was very bright in your life. But today, it feels dim. Maybe even feels lost. See, the problem with light is, I want you all to step into my living room for a moment. Oh, Talk about them, build a little fire. We'll have a little conversation. Is that all right with everybody? Got that going? Got the little fire stoked back there? We need a fire today. It's cold, isn't it? Don't y'all wish you had like your own little personal fire right in front of you? Right? Y'all, some of y'all going to go home and build a fire. We live in the country. We know about fire. There's two things it takes for a fire to work. First one is air. Right? It takes oxygen to sustain a fire. Take all the air out of a room. Fire dies instantly. Have you ever noticed, if you've ever studied the Greek language, the word that's used for Holy Spirit, holy, and then spirit, the word that's translated spirit is the word pneuma, which also is at times translated breath. When we give our lives to Jesus, it's as if God breathes into us and ignites a fire inside of our soul. And that breath never 
leaves. But it takes more than that to sustain a fire. Many of y'all have been camping, and you know how it goes. You make a little fire at night, and you, you cook on your fire. And then the next morning, you know, you wake up after going to bed, and the fire is out. The fire is out because the fuel on the fire has all been consumed. See, it takes air, but it takes fuel to sustain a fire. And fuel in our relationship with God is us pursuing God, us pursuing him, us getting into his word, us praying to him, us seeking him. And the problem is, is that oftentimes the fire becomes dim in our lives because we have not added the fuel that is necessary to sustain the fire. Now, can I just tell you something, parents? We have a lot of parents in the room. I just want, I want you to know something about the, the fire that we want to see ignited in the hearts of our kids. We can never light that fire. Only God can. But we can stack the wood so that it's easy to light. See, the problem with some of us today is that because we got busy or because we got hurt, we stopped adding fuel to the fire and the fire has grown dim and darkness has begun to creep in. And if we're honest today, the light of the world that exists inside of us is but a twinkle. It's still there and it pops up in moments like this when you're reminded that I, I know I should I know what I'm, I'm supposed to do. I, I know that I should say I'm sorry. I know that I need to get this right in my life. And it's still there, but it's just, it's just a sparkle. It's just a glimpse of what it could be. Today, I want everybody in the room to engage the light of the world. I want to look at the story of Christmas. Have you ever thought, as you looked over the story of Christmas, which character you identified with? You ever thought about that before? I asked that on Facebook this past week. It was really awesome because I got some answers like Buddy the Elf and uh, the Grinch. And I thought, God, I need to really just get back into the scriptures and study the Bible uh, because I do not remember Buddy the Elf in, in the Christmas story. I just, I love Buddy the Elf, one of my favorite Christmas movies, but uh, I don't remember his appearance in there or the Grinch. Um, I love my friend Sherry, who's probably watching online. Hey, Sherry, I love you. Um, she she said my uh, the the character i identify with the most is the sheep because i need a shepherd maybe maybe you're here today and and the person that you identify with the most is is the shepherds themselves they're the blue collar workers of their day and that's who god came to first the average normal blue collar working guy maybe you identify with them for me, the character is quite different. The character that I personally identify with the most in all of the Christmas story is a guy named Herod. Herod was the client king installed by the Roman emperor in Jerusalem over Judea. And today, I think that we're going to see that there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. There's a little bit of Herod in all of us. 
Because if we get down to the truth of it, we all want to be kings and queens. We all want to rule our own kingdoms. We want things to go our way in our time, the way that we want it, when we want it, at our pleasure. As king or queen. See, the problem with being a king or a queen in creating your own kingdom that you are building on this earth is this, that we want God to help us but not compete with us. Now, if you're honest, for a lot of us in this room, that truth needs to hurt you. That we want God to help us but not compete with us. We're, we're totally okay when God shows up and things aren't going well, got a little financial deficit, I get a bonus at work, praise God, right? Stuff's going wrong in a relationship and the person shows up and out of nowhere apologizes. Praise God, right? We love it when God helps us. But when God shows you a way to live that is opposite the way that you want to live, or have decided to live. When it appears that God's way is in competition with your way, if you're a king or a queen, you want none of that. See, Herod, Herod was a different guy. Truth was, if you don't know much about history, you probably don't know much about Herod. Herod was ambitious, talented, a brilliant political mind. He was known in his cultural context as one of the greatest architects that lived. He rebuilt, when he was assigned to Jerusalem, rebuilt the temple after it was destroyed by the Babylonians. He built in Judea several amazing seaports. He was well known for craftsmanship and leading. He was a skilled negotiator. He was originally installed by Julius Caesar, but if you know the story in 44 BC, Julius Caesar, Caesar was, was killed and, and murdered inside the Senate. Rome went into a massive upheaval. Uh, two young men, one of him uh, was his uh, nephew Octavian and another named Mark Antony, both kind of teamed up and said, we're going to avenge the death of Julius Caesar. And so they went about killing everyone who had uh, anything to do with this murder of the emperor of Rome. But it became clear that both of them were gaining significant influence and authority. One of them was going to be the next emperor of Rome. Herod knew that. So he decided early, I'm just going to pick a side. Mark Antony was the most resourced. His wife was Cleopatra from uh, the Queen of Egypt. He had significant resources. It was likely that he would win. So he threw all of his influence and resources behind Mark Antony, only for Mark Antony to lose to Octavian, who would later be installed as Augustus Caesar, the next emperor of Rome. So here Herod is in this massive turmoil. This is my favorite story of Herod. He's back the wrong guy. What should he do? He probably should just run to Egypt and live under the authority of the guy that he had backed who was now just the prince of Egypt underneath his queen wife. But that's not what Herod did. Herod instead sailed 
to the island of Rhodes where Octavian or Augustus Caesar was vacationing. And upon his arrival, he asked for the audience of Caesar to stand before the emperor of Rome. Can you imagine the person who had backed his opponent, who had put his influence and leverage behind his enemy, is now standing at the doorstep asking for an audience, and he was granted it. And he gave maybe one of the most amazing speeches in all of history. He stood before Octavian and said, you know full well that when you and Mark Anthony went to war, I put all of my influence and all of my resources behind your opponent. I swore my loyalty to him, and I am loyal. But today, I am here to pledge my loyalty to you as Caesar and to tell you that when I make that promise, I stand behind it. You've seen that, and you know that you can trust it. Caesar was so moved that not only did he keep him as a king, he increased his land. He gave him Samaria and Gaza. And when we meet Herod in the Bible, we meet Herod later in his life. See, Herod later in his life has become consumed with what his legacy is going to be about. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't bound to any kind of religious law or duty. And the truth about where he was, he had 10 wives, multiple sons. He had changed his will at least four times, executing the son that he had planned to leave his kingdom to. He was a madman trying to control his future. And there he was appearing in the story of the birth of Jesus. When we meet him, he's about 70 years old, and according to historian Josephus, he was dying of kidney failure, which in those days was unbelievably painful. So let's go to the story, beginning in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, um, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who was born the king of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, what we know of these Magi is that they were most likely Persian, uh, Persian kings who studied the stars and observed something in the stars that led them to believe that a significant event had happened in that direction. And so they followed the star and went in the direction of what they had observed, landing in Jerusalem, and their prediction was that this star heralded the coming of a new king. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him because at this point in his life, when Herod became disturbed, the whole city became disturbed because somebody was going to die. And it was vastly personal for him. He'd spent his life building his kingdom, building his legacy. And now it appears that there's a new king on the block. 
So when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where's the Messiah to be born? Now, he had to ask this. He wasn't a Jew. He didn't know. The answer is found in Micah 5.2, and they're going to give him this answer. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod called the Magi, or then Herod called the Magi secretly and found from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. Notice this. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming into the house, now pay attention to that. Where's Jesus born? In the manger. He's now in a house. There's been some time that's passed. Most people would say somewhere between 12 and 18 months between that time. Jesus is a toddler at this point. And on coming into the house, They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They bowed down and worshipped him. These noble, influential, wealthy leaders from Persia bowed before a toddler. I have... An eight-month-old, I've parented two kids. I can tell you that there is nothing in a toddler that makes you want to go, whoa! But there was something in that toddler that made them go, whoa. Whoa. And they worshipped. And they bowed before him. I think it's important to talk about worship because notice there's no music going on. Not like they called in their worship team. All right, drummer, get in place and let's get the keys over here. And then we get, all right, everybody strike up your song and now we worship, right? It's not how it happened. They bowed before him and worshiped. You know what worship is? In its essence, worship is surrender. It's surrender. If you're taking notes, I'd write this down. Worship is saying yes to God before he ever asks the question. It's saying yes to God before he ever even asks you the question. Complete and total surrender. And that's exactly what happened in the hearts of those men as they observed a toddler king. There was something different about him. So the story continues. As a matter of fact, let me point this out. Did you notice how they got there? How they got to Jerusalem and then how they got to Jesus? It's quite simple. They just followed the light. They just followed the light. And it led them right to Jesus. So the story continues. And now, having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had got up, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. 
So he, Joseph, got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt. So the story then continues. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. This man who had spent his life managing and manipulating the outcome of events had been outwitted by a few guys who seemed to know more than he did. And he was furious. And he's going to do something that is thoroughly unthinkable. And then he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old or under in accordance with the time that he had learned from the Magi. Can you imagine being in Bethlehem during that season? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what it was like? Can you imagine being the mother of a, of a two-year-old or, or of an 18-month-old and holding your son only to have a soldier burst into your living room and say, give me that baby to forcefully take it from you and then to execute your child in front of you. All the babies, all the boys under two years old have an eight-month-old son. I can't imagine that moment. I can't imagine the pain. Can you imagine what it was like for Mary as they escaped? Knowing that because of what she brought into the world, hundreds of little boys are about to die. Can you imagine the pain that she would carry with that? As they flee to Egypt. See, the thing is that Herod is at the end of his life. As a matter of fact, the, the history tells us that he, he was in so much pain that he attempted to kill himself, which in those days was very, very difficult. He was actually found in the process of trying to kill himself by a cousin. They actually rescued him and kept him alive. Towards the end of his death, in the last few weeks, he ordered all the noble men of Judea to be brought into Jerusalem and then had them imprisoned. And he gave these orders, when I die, execute every single one of them. Because I want there to be weeping and mourning throughout all of Israel on the day of my death. That's how sick he had become. Because he was concerned with his kingdom. He was five miles from the birth of Jesus. And he missed it five miles away. Historians, after his death, and thankfully his family released those men who had been brought in. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are now dead. Every year at Christmas, Herod's name is mentioned. It's not mentioned 
because he rebuilt the temple. It's not mentioned because he built seaports, including Caesarea Philippi. He, it's not mentioned because of his amazing speech in front of Augustus Caesar. His name is mentioned every year because he tried to put out the light of the world. He is a footnote in a toddler's story. He's a footnote in a toddler's story. People aren't telling Herod's story every year. They're telling the story of the light of the world that came into the world to rescue the world every year. And John begins his gospel after taking Mary into his own house, after listening to the birth stories and listening to her tell the stories of having to escape and then listening to the pain that would have been born in her heart after she recalled all that happened in Bethlehem when she fled. John opens his gospel with these words, in him was life and that life was light of, was the light of all mankind. In him was light, and that light was the light of all mankind. Would you notice the verb tense that's being used here? It's past tense. It's looking backwards upon the story. But notice what he does in the next verse. The light shines in the darkness. In the darkness has not overtaken it. He shifts to the present tense, to today. The light shines today. Can you see it? Can you sense it? Can you feel it? Because the light still shines today. You see, the truth of the story that's being written as God tells his story throughout the world is that everyone will be a footnote in the story of the light of the world. Everyone will be a footnote. All of us are going to be a footnote in the story of the light of the world. The question is, what footnote will you be? Will your footnote because one day somebody is going to tell your story in relationship to the story of the light of the world. Will your footnote be that you tried to put out or to hide the light of the world? Will your story be that you tried to put out or hide the light of the world? That's what Herod's story is. Or your footnote be that you followed the light. That you followed the light. That's what the Magi did. They followed the light. It was the invitation of Jesus when he began his ministry. Come and follow me. What will your footnote be? When people tell your story, will you have tried to build your own kingdom or will you have participated in a kingdom? Will your life have been a life where things either went your way or it was a highway or, or, or are you participating in the kingdom of God, following him, being obedient to him? And this one, this 
if we're honest about this question, this one stings. Will you have clung to what will be taken away or surrendered to a God that's bigger than you? Will you have tried to hold on to something that's eventually going to be taken away? Or will you surrender to a God that's a lot bigger than you? What story do you want your life to tell? Because this is the moment that you need to decide that. This is the moment that you need to decide. We're all going to be footnotes in the story of the light of the world. And for some of you, the the light inside feels like it has grown pale and dim and dark. But I want to remind you of something. The good news is that the light inside of you cannot be put out by the darkness. It cannot be. John says that the light still shines and darkness cannot overtake it. So this Christmas, I want you to engage the light of the world. I want your life to embrace what God wants for you and to take the next step towards whatever it is that God wants to do in you. So what's the next step? For some of you, it's that you finally commit. You know what? My family, we're going to start attending church regularly. We haven't been doing that. We haven't made it a big part of our life, but we're going to do that. We're going to start. We're going to start right now. For some of you, you've been sitting on the sidelines, and God's put gifts and talents in you that need to be leveraged for the kingdom of God, and it's time for you to start serving. For some of you, the next step is to forgive somebody who has hurt you, and that bitterness has trapped you and kept you from growing and becoming the person that God wants you to be. Maybe your next step is to attend the starting point and get off the fence and actually join and become a part of a church family and start contributing to it like church family members should. Maybe for you this year, your next step is to start praying. Maybe you haven't prayed in a long time. And your first prayer might go something like this. Hey, God, it's me. We hadn't talked in a long time. but I'm pretty sure you remember me. Maybe it's time to finally surrender and worship. Maybe it's time to stop negotiating your surrender with God and to fully Surrender to him. To say yes to him before he ever asked the question. Because to me, that's the beauty of the Magi. They got it right. They followed the light and they worshiped. And if we can get that right, God can do so much in our lives. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.